I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, dear listeners. I'm Michael Stevens. And I'm Shelley Brooks. And welcome to another episode of Everyone is Hot. The podcast that talks about your favorite stealth sex symbols and the films that turned you onto them. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do something a little bit different this week from what we normally do. Um, another so different instead- thing. Another different thing. So instead of having on a special guest to talk about their crush like we normally do, we are going to explore another element of some of our favorite films, and that is dance scenes on film. So, <laughs> oh, I know. We're when so excited. Oh, oh, there we go. There what we go. What are you doing? <laughs> These dumb kids. Oh, my God. <laughs> Children, oh. pay attention. Gosh stupid kids jesus christ <laughs> so for this one we are not going to do what you might expect which is pick dance numbers from musicals instead we're going to do like organic dance scenes so you know the ones that are happening within the plot uh now michael why are we doing this you know what do you think like what do we hope to accomplish here you know what are your thoughts on an, on a good dance scene Great question. Uh, There are a lot of things that dance sequences allow us, or dance scenes allow storytellers to do in a uh, film movie format. Mm -hmm. Uh, One, it does things that a, uh, that dialogue or uh, plot stuff or, I don't know that just language in general what we're traditionally kind of used to it, it does things that those things cannot do mm-hmm. um I also think that dance in a movie um and and in the kind of movies that we're going to talk about 
kind of bring out a, a sense of play, which is really um, important to remember uh, as human beings and in art. Um, there is, there should be a sense of play. Um, yeah. 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 And I, yeah, I think that, you know, I think that seeing a dance scene in a movie gets to sort of like a fundamental thing of like what film as a medium is about and what it can do that is specific compared to other media. And that is being able to witness bodies in space and like movement Mm. through time. Um, You know, sometimes you can get very, uh, literal with that aspect of film especially in you know specifically dance films or something I think about a lot are the movies of Maya Darren who you know is an experimental American filmmaker um so in her works like Meshes of the Afternoon um At Land and Ritual in Transfigured Time um these are short works where you know dance and movement are pretty are like central to them often they you know her work was silent um and yeah, so I mean, in Ritual and Transfigured Time specifically, I mean, she's working with like a dancer as like the main figure that we follow. So even though it's maybe not specifically a dance film, it's a film about movement. And so even if you're not working in a sort of like experimental or dance-based space, um, you know, there there is something very specific in watching a body on camera that's not the same as watching dance in a theater. It's not the same as like, a talky sort of movie that could, you know, be a play. Um, Yeah. And I also think that it's an interesting opportunity to find nonverbal ways of expressing character and setting mood. Um, Yes. Yeah. This (laughs) is something that's top of mind for me um, to just learn more about. So I'm really glad we're talking about this. Um, I'm currently reading um, The the Moving Body by Jacques Lecoq. And uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. Yeah. (laughs) Bodies, man. They're so interesting. Bodies, man. can do so much. Uh, They can move around. Make all sorts of shapes. They can move around. They can go up and down. Um, They go fast. I also think I like um, another thing I like about dance scenes. um, There's lots of physical interaction scenes, Mm. like the fight scene or the sex scene and i like it when the dance p- scene can take place of both um mm. and so perhaps uh i don't know i'm i'm curious to know some of your uh some of your dance scenes that you you think of when you think of dance scenes Yes, darling. Uh, so yeah, so for everyone listening, we will have a YouTube playlist put together of these dance scenes. So you can take a look and see, you know, what exactly we're talking about. Um, but yeah, I, I guess what I will start with is one that's maybe a bit of a cliche, but one that was very meaningful for me and was a sort of um, early foundational dance scene. Um, and that, ooh, pardon me. That is the scene in uh, Godard's Band of Outsiders from 1964, where they dance the the Madison, as uh, Anna Karina has called it. Um, it's a really interesting scene. It's a you know a group dance in a cafe um, to a sort of popular song. It's a sort of like little line dance that they all are you know doing together. 
Um, but Bernard does this very interesting thing of we're seeing this sort of carefree dancing happening. There are these young people dancing to contemporary music, having fun with it, uh, you know, to this jaunty music. But repeatedly throughout the scene, the music will drop out and we will hear voiceover from the characters. And, you know, it's... You might expect in another movie that when that music drops out, that you'll also lose the sound of the soundtrack of, like, their feet moving or them, like, snapping, which does not happen. You hear all of that sort of background noise as the voiceover is happening. So it also is this sort of, like, Brechtian device of breaking the fourth wall and, you know, realizing, like, okay, when they were filming this scene, they were doing it, you know, in silence, as you generally do, like, in a movie, like, at the movie and put her at the music and post-production. Um, but yeah, so it's an interesting way of, like, both deconstructing this sort of cinematic process in it, as well as this, um, very emotionally affecting way of, like, you know, we're in part seeing them as these kind of carefree young people, and then that's sort of undermined by this cutting out of music and the use of the voiceover that we know that like they're they're doomed. So yeah, that's that's my number one, I think. What about that's you? That's your number one. <laughs> I have to. I definitely have to watch this movie um, because my number one, and I don't know if it's my number like my number one in terms oh, sure. of best, but it's <laughs> it's the first thing that I think about. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like there is a relationship between, um, I don't know this. I don't know these things. I just, <laughs> I just know that Quentin Tarantino has definitely seen a band about, about a band of outsiders. And that he named uh, his production company after it. Band apart. Yeah. A band apart. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. So I know this. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It's good to know what you know. All right. So Pulp Fiction, 1994, like mm. 30 years after band of outsiders came out. Um, mm. There's the, uh, famous Jack Rabbit Slim's dance. So it's Mia and Vince. What can I say? <laughs> this scene is very fun. We've seen this man kill people. We've heard stories about what Mia Wallace's husband does to people that get a little too close with his wife. And this whole scene, we've heard this, like some of his, some of Tarantino, say what you want to about the man. I love the way he writes conversations. He writes them the way that I wish. They sound like... My dad first made me watch this movie. I was a child. <laughs> I love that. And he's like, this movie is great because that's the way people really talk. <laughs> and uh, it's not the way people really talk. But it is the way we kind of hear ourselves sometimes. Um, so I love that you get to hear um, this kind of, uh, I guess, uh, what's the term? Idealized version. Yeah, of sort of like heightened how, reality of it. Yes, uh, of, of how people are communicating. And you, you see the vibe. You see the mm -hmm. cool thing that's happening between them, the, the yeah. chemistry. You see Uma's uh, little you know. tootsies. <laughs> and, Those bare feet, baby. Yeah. And <laughs> any, I feel like there are other universes where their, uh, their, their tension builds to some make out or some sex scene. Hmm. But instead, the peak of their kind of interaction, or, or well, I shouldn't say the peak because <laughs> uh, 
it all ends uh, in uh, chaos. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they do a, a little dancing. They do a little dance mm. contest and he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> but she's like, come on, do it. And John Travolta, he gets up there and he does his thing. He does what John Travolta does best. Yeah. Um, the original Channing Tatum. Um, <laughs> True. And yeah, it's it's I I love a scene of a violent man dancing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, to have that duality in him is like, always really interesting. Yeah. And also, I mean, Tarantino is so good at taking advantage of, like, star personas and star power. Uh, You know, I know it's a cliche at this point to be like, and that was John Travolta's comeback. But, I mean, there is something, you know, very moving as an audience member. Like, if you are aware of Travolta and his career and, like, you have a relationship with him as a movie star. So, you know, he goes from, like, this skinny young kid moving so gracefully in, like, Saturday Night Fever in Greece and then you see him as this like middle-aged man coming up and like doing God. the thing that he's famous for. It's it's uh, it's a bit emotional. I can't wait to write the AMC Pulp Fiction uh, anthology pilot <laughs> and cast Zac Efron as the uh, oh. Vincent Vega type character. That's good. Um, it's a good idea, right? I hope it's no one steals idea. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone listening, don't steal it. <laughs> don't steal my idea. That's trademarked. God damn, it's trademarked. It. It's copyrighted. <laughs> I love that, especially having seen uh, Zach Efron in the Beach Bum. I think he's got a lot to offer. He just needs the right parts. Uh, you know? One day. He needs to one play day. like crazy guys. He's uh, very good at it. <laughs> uh, now I went for something very different in my in my next choice. I um, actually watched this dan- this scene out of yeah. context, so I'm very curious to hear uh, why you picked this one and and its significance. Well, I really love this one. I do think it's interesting. So, uh, for the listener, this uh, next one is uh, Pandora's Box, uh, the 1929. Uh, George or Georg, maybe I saw you pronounce it in German. Wilhelm Pabst, a uh, movie starring Louise Brooks. Um, it is, I thought it would be interesting to maybe pick a silent film um, because obviously you are not getting, you know, a soundtrack with it. Like oftentimes there are very different versions of a soundtrack that um, you can hear in various releases. Um, so I thought about this. I thought about the scene with um, Anna Mae Wong in the film Piccadilly. But I ultimately had to go with this one. Um, one, because I am such a huge fan of Louise Brooks. I love the way she moves. She feels so intensely modern on screen. Um, even though she was like so such an iconic sort of like figure of the 20s. Um, she's got this sort of energy and this way of using her body that just feels always contemporary no matter when you're watching her. Um, and it's a scene that I think uses dance very well in communicating character. It's nothing very flashy. I mean, she does, it's like after she's gotten married, she dances with this uh, woman, the Countess uh, Geschwitz, who is in love with her. Um, and, you know, throughout the movie, she's this sort of like femme fatale that, you know, everyone around her falls in love with and she constantly ends up destroying them in the process. Um <laughs> Until, you know, ultimately uh, she meets her own uh, violent end. Um, 
But yeah, it's a very interestingly blocked scene because it's very simple dancing. I mean, they're just doing a sort of slow dance together. Um, but the way that everyone is framed, the way everyone looks at each other, the glances that are shared, you really get a clear sense of like everyone's relationship within the scene, both in like spatially, you get a sense of it, which, you know, is such an interesting thing visually. Um, but you also see emotionally, like how everyone is reacting to this. You see the longing on the countess's face. You see the kind of like blitheness, which with which uh, Louise Brooks's character moves through everything. You see the jealousy of her husband, the jealousy of her husband's son, who's also in love with her. Um, yeah, I think it's a really, really good scene for using dance as a very quick and effective way of communicating relationships. Oh, God damn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like oh, everything in I it is it. so specific and so intentional. It's it's really cool to see the way that like something that would have taken lines and lines of dialogue, you just see a few glances between people and the way that like their bodies touch and you know exactly how everyone feels. Oh, I have to watch this. This looked so exciting um, yeah. to see. Um, I oh, definitely the the note of how intensely modern she feels. Mm. Um, that was a big old shock to me. I was like, oh, yeah, this is nineteen fifty nine, and that like open queerness in it, like you know, to have these women like who are very explicitly sexually attracted to each other, yeah, <laughs> uh, is is really exciting to see. Oh, now, that is an important one that yeah. I have to have to see very soon oh you must you must and i think for your next one there's also some interesting uh longing oh yes uh so <laughs> very fun how uh <laughs> they how, accidentally like <laughs> all lined up <laughs> how they line up and how they're totally different so i i really thought of like every teen movie <laughs> uh dance singing lip sync sequence mm -hmm. um but I have to go with uh, Ducky's Dance from Pretty in Pink, John Hughes, 1986. Um, I I love uh, mm -hmm. a, a a lip sync in a rom com in a teen rom com movie, and I love uh, unrequited uh, love desire that as a concept. Um, I put this one on here because someone in college once told me, he's like, you remind me of this guy. And I had never seen this movie. And then I saw the movie and I was like, this guy is goofy, desperate, and is an incel. Um, and he's dressed like a clown. Um, but out of all of the scenes of this nature, I think this is the ultimate uh, teen rom-com declaration of fruitless love. Um, because it's embarrassing to watch. It's oh, yeah. got no grace. It's a little white boy <laughs> lip syncing uh, of a big black man's voice. <laughs> um, you know, the I'm using quotation marks when I say this. Um, but that scene feels like, and what I wa I've watched it as a younger person, and watching it as an older person, mm. that scene definitely um, takes me back to um, those feelings in that time of being a young person, being mm -hmm. just a humiliating <laughs> creature. Um, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love this silly ass scene <laughs> so much. Yeah, I feel like I'm steadily revealing um, 
all of the things that I should have watched as a teen that I did not see as a teen. I know a little <laughs> bit about this movie just through like cultural osmosis, but much like Star Wars, this is one I'm embarrassed to admit. I have never seen all the way through. Uh, and I feel like I, I mean, maybe missed seen... the boat. Uh, I don't think so. Um, yeah. I think you could watch it at any time. Um, okay. But it, it's definitely one that the older, the older I get, the more the whole movie kind of pisses me off in certain respects. <laughs> um, sure. Just because uh, John Hughes had to, whole, had to write a whole other movie uh, to have the ending that he wanted to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like if you were to do this kind of a story in modern day, um, like honestly, if you made Ducky a girl, mm. like it's a whole other, it's basically <laughs> a, a, I don't know if you listen to Shura at all, but it's, it's a Shura album. Did, um, is his thing that he's a little bit of a date rapist? I don't know his thing. <laughs> I yeah, I I feel like this what? is all I all I know about Ducky as the character. Not not Oh yeah. Ducky, no. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. That's not Ducky. Okay. No. No, no, no. That's not Ducky. Okay. No, Shelly. No, that's not Ducky. He uh, doesn't All right, he doesn't have any drugs or any quaaludes or any of that. That's mm. Revenge of the Nerds. Mm, okay. Oh okay. no, that's full and that's not even that's like not even date rape. That movie like has a rape scene in it. That's Jesus kind of Christ. played for, yeah. Oh God, different it's times. Another, <laughs> it's I mean we we will we probably should talk about problematic eighties movies and problematic nineties <laughs> movies and problematic two thousands movies, yeah. um, aimed at young people, um, because like Revenge of the Nerds truly a weapon, uh, truly yeah. a, just an awful scene. Oh, um, God. No, Oof. Ducky. Ducky is, I call him an incel because he loves his best mm-hmm. friend mm-hmm. and he's like flirting with his best friend the whole time, like very overtly, like, hey, I want to make out with you. <laughs> but it's John Cryer, um, uh. you know, being John Cryer. Um, mm. Like nowadays, this dude is like all over Brooklyn and he is, you know, <laughs> the worst. But, you know, he's <laughs> Wait, not an incel. What's he done? What? Uh, Wait, John Cryer? What, what did John, John Cryer? Yeah. Oh no, he didn't do anything. The concept oh. of the Ducky character, oh, the gotcha, Ducky gotcha, archetype. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh no. But <laughs> Everyone's no, 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 bad. no, no, John. John Cryer. I think he's fine. I think he's okay. Pray, I'm praying. Yeah, I was gonna that say he's he seems okay. like a nice man, even though he he's did really that sweet. TV show. And he's really great. He's really great in Superman Four, I believe. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, he plays Lex Luthor's. Uh, he plays Gene Hackman's dumb nephew. He's oh, love it. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> Okay, well, I am definitely going to be watching Pretty in Pink, finally catching up on all all my missed teen movies that I need to catch up on. Um, so my next one, is very different <laughs> from Pretty in Pink, is uh, the movie Lovers on the Bridge from 1991. Okay. And uh, so this is a French movie directed by my man, Leos Carax, who did Annette, my favorite movie of last hey, year. <laughs> I gotta watch this then. Oh, you're gonna love it. This is another one that has been a little hard to find lately. But again, as we mentioned on our last episode, if you get creative looking for a movie, you can almost always find it. So, you know, <laughs> might not slide show up on Netflix, DMs. but yeah, slide, slide on in, Slide baby. to the DMs. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> 
this is a very different uh, mood from <laughs> the Pretty in Pink scene, though it's got a, a similar uh, edge of desperation. Um, okay. So this movie is pretty, it's pretty wild. It's uh, got a bit of a feel of like a fairy tale, like a dark fairy tale to it in a lot of ways. Um, it was a notoriously hard movie to get made. Uh, the French title is uh, Les Amants de Pont Neuf. And so one of them is this uh, homeless street performer played by Denis Levant, um, who's kind of this manic, uh, kind of wild young man. Um, the other is Juliette Benoche, who plays this um, artist who's gone through this like terrible breakup and is losing her eyesight. Um, yeah. And so they, they end up like living on this bridge together. So initially the idea was that they would film on the actual bridge. That was going to be closing it down for three months so that people in the city couldn't actually use it. Um, <laughs> <coughs> so that was not practical. Um, so long story short, through all of these various things going wrong and finding out that they're going to need much more money than they did and people getting injured, it went from supposedly it was going to cost like, you know, a few million dollars to then it was up to like a $70 million budget. It was crazy. It was Jesus. like an extremely expensive movie. Um, because they ended up having to like build like a fake bridge that they shot everything on. There was a lot going <laughs> on. This guy. <laughs> yeah. Shit. Yeah. This guy, he's, you know, I love an uncompromising visionary and that's certainly <laughs> what he is. Um, oh my God. But yeah, there's this incredible scene um, that it's a dance scene, a running scene um, where these two characters, you know, they are living this pretty like, desperate existence and it's on the the um like bicentennial of the french revolution so it's a scene at night where all of these fireworks are going off and they get completely hammered and are like running and dancing down this bridge to this completely like disorienting soundtrack that like moves like unexpectedly and like immediately between like it'll be like Iggy Pop, and then it'll be like Public Enemy, and then it'll be like Strauss, like uh, this mix of like contemporary and classical music. As like Juliette Binoche is like running and jumping down this bridge, dancing like manically, and then crying, and then like standing up on the edge of the bridge, looking like she's gonna either like fall off the bridge or get hit by a firework and like catch fire. And Denis Levant, who is one of my favorite of the cinematic short kings, um, who also trained as a circus performer, is <laughs> like oh my climbing God. up, <laughs> climbing up walls, like climbing up light fixtures. It's an incredibly moving scene that's like completely centrally overwhelming because they're like these explosions and all these lights and they're manically cycling through all these different emotions as the music is changing and giving you whiplash. Um, but yeah, it is a truly overwhelming scene and just so so ballsy because if seeing this written on paper you'd be like what the fuck are you talking about this is gonna look insane but when you yeah, watch it it's I, like one of those scenes in a movie that just sort of overwhelms you with all the like sensory input you're getting <laughs> i didn't watch this one i haven't watched the movie and i haven't watched the the link yet but uh my question for you yes. is um is this because I'm trying to imagine it as you're telling me it, which is <laughs> going to be a fun way to try and see how what I'm seeing in my head 
how it matches up against what was actually done. Yeah. Is this, um, is this one continuous shot or is it broken up? It's broken up and it's, it's different shots, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because it is, you get so much, I mean, going back to sort of what I was saying about the, the Pandora's box scene, but it accomplishes it in a completely different way. Cause like Pandora's box, you get this like very sort of like, clear classical filmmaking showing you the relationship between these characters and in this one it's so much sort of like bigger and shaggier but it's again things that like if you tried to have these characters express themselves in words one they are not characters who seem like they could express the sort of enormity of their feelings in words um but it would also just be so laborious and in this one like you're just seeing the movement and like hearing the this like crazy music like you you get such a sort of like profound feeling of what their emotional state is that yeah you couldn't do otherwise except through this kind of movement i cannot wait to watch this it's real good it's really good Uh. (laughs) um so (laughs) your last one is uh pretty different (laughs) but a a classic Okay. Yeah, it's different. It's different. That is different. Yeah. I, okay. Uh, I picked. Uh, all right. So, Batman, nineteen eighty nine. Um, yes. It's the dance scene. Uh, so this is Mike. This is no, not Mike. Uh, so yeah, Michael Keaton is Batman, but uh, Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Um, yes. And you know, the Joker has become in <coughs> popular culture this like actor role Mm -hmm. but jack nicholson knew what the fuck he was doing he was like i'm doing that (laughs) i'm doing the you know the batman tv show but in 1989 cool i'm just having fun and so basically what happens is the joker walks into a museum it's him and his goons he's painted his face over (laughs) to look human again because he's turned into you know joker clown face like that is his skin and so um there's like really fun stuff about how they did the the makeup for how it would look Hmm. it's like two layers of of makeup which is very fun um like his actual skin tone over this white skin tone over his actual skin tone so that it could run when he sweats yeah but joker and his goons they're all dancing the joker walks in with a boom box and it's playing party man from prince's standalone Batman tie-in album, um, which is just the wildest shit. Like, it, there's a whole Prince album, all Prince songs, <laughs> separate, all Batman inspired. Some yeah. of them not Batman inspired at all, but it was just some studio exec going, you know, hey, we need to do. What if we? It's Warner Brothers. Like, just hey, let's let's put it out there. Like, Prince, can you write a Batman soundtrack? Just give us your song, whatever songs you got out there. We'll smash them together, make two music videos, and you know, we'll put them in the movie. So this song, Party Man, is slotted into this uh, movie, um, which for 13-year-old me watching this is just too much. Um, because, you know, when you get into, like, the diegesis of it all, and, like, wait a minute, so is there a Batman album in the world of this movie? Did, like... Yeah. It doesn't make sense, but well, it's happening. Yeah. I've also read apparently when he wrote the song Party Man, it's because 
he met Jack Nicholson and he was like, that's the coolest guy I've ever met. That's a real party man. <laughs> ah! <laughs> oh, my God. oh, hey, king in town. Oh, that's so perfect. He's the party man. He is the party man. Nicholson himself is the party man. <laughs> Prince loves Jack Nicholson. Imagine being so cool that Prince is impressed by how cool you are. Prince made a song. Like, no one's going to fucking do that for you, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. I'm sorry. <laughs> None of the not. other Jokers are going to have fucking Bruno Mars. I guess he's the closest thing we have. Uh, I guess. Oof. You know what? Bruno Mars has some fucking bangers, though. I'm not going to clown Listen, too I like hard. Bruno, but... <laughs> I like Bruno. I like him. No one's he's writing songs for these motherfuckers. No. Like, all these... Mo- all fuck off. Jared Leto. We had too many jokers within the past. We had like ugh, five different motherfuckers. Too many jokers. Ugh. But, you know, everyone is like, you know, falling out of their ass about. Um, and I'm only saying. saying that. Yeah. People Everyone's are falling out. Falling out of their ass left and right. People are falling out of their ass left and right over Joaquin jokers Phoenix all over the place. dancing to in his Joker movie. But it's like this yeah. was done already. Very yeah. well in a very funny scene where his background goons also <laughs> danced and painted things. They just they yeah. just painted things. They're actually uh, having fun. Joaquin Phoenix is dancing to a pedophile song. <laughs> yes, like there are no none of the bad guys in these movies has fun anymore. Yeah. And it's uh, such a great scene because Nicholson, I think that we don't necessarily give him enough credit for being such a great physical actor. He's but so he's, funny. The way he moves is so funny. <laughs> it's a great uh, scene. He, it's it's very Jack Black. The only person doing <laughs> what he's doing now is Jack fucking Black. I love it. I love it. Also, yeah. a shame they never cast Jack Black as the Joker. Oh. Embarrassing and dumb. Well, yeah, I guess we decided after. Well, I was going to say after Heath Ledger that the Joker isn't fun. But Heath Ledger is fun. Heath Ledger is very funny. Heath Ledger has fun. He manages to have the wrong some fun. lessons from him. Because he is yeah. actually very funny in that part, I think. <laughs> He's fun, and then it's progressively less fun as as time goes on. Yeah, they're like, let's do all the the dark, fucked up parts. And it's like, no, the reason why he worked is because he was also funny. <laughs> it's like we don't need to know too much about the guy. He loves yeah. being bad. He loves dancing. He his <laughs> goons also love. He's party man. His goons even love this shit. Like, I I love that he has goons. No one has yeah. goons anymore. Yeah, that feels like something that we really lost in like the '90s. After the '90s, that we didn't have fun goons because usually, yeah, because everyone's you know, a terrorist now. Everyone's got yeah. like a terrorist crew. I miss having like a, a big fat guy, a little skinny guy, someone who like watches cartoons and like laughs too hard at them. Like, oh, oh boss, did you see that, boss? <laughs> oh God, what about yeah, a silly get, lady like, with knives smacked in the back of the head? Yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> More goons. That's what cinema uh, is missing today. Goons. <laughs> oh, God. I'm so glad we've arrived at this conclusion. Um, there's one more film. There's several more films that we have to address. Well, I was going to say, before we get to, I think, our crowning crowning achievement in this, do we want to like throw out some of our, our runners-up who just barely didn't make the cut? Um, yes. Um, so why don't you go first? Cause I, I have to agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, I guess the first one of mine that came so, so close, 
um, was the hip to be square scene from American Psycho, uh, Mary Heron's movie from 2000. It's not an extensive dance scene, but it's a memorable one. And you get to see Jared Leto get axed, which is always a delight. (laughs) It's it's a really great scene. Again, I love uh, a violent man having fun. Um, (laughs) And this scratches the, you know, Jack Mm -hmm. Nicholson as Joker, Mm -hmm. um, Michael Madsen in uh, Reservoir Dogs kind of itch that I have. I want an angry, I want a scary guy to dance. <laughs> yeah, Christian um, Bale even does a similar sort of little shuffle thing to Michael Madsen in uh, Stuck in the Middle with You in Reservoir Dogs. Uh, so good. <laughs> yeah, it's a great scene. He does some fun little moves. He's very funny. It's a very dark scene. Um, but it is a very funny performance from Christian Bale. And, you know, it was a nice period of time, like the 90s, early 2000s, where people just like beat the shit out of Jared Leto in movies. Like Fight Club, they fucked up his pretty face. <laughs> he gets axed in this one. So, you know, I think we should get back to that. Yeah, I, I think we will. Um, it's time. <laughs> He's a menace and we don't need him anymore. <laughs> he also supposedly um, like runs a cult. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently he's some kind of weird cult leader and um, preys on young girls. So, Oh, I don't like that. Fuck you, Jared Leto. I mean, have have your cult, but leave young ladies. <laughs> yeah, do an old people cult. <laughs> do, do an old people cult for you know. Do do an old old pe- do an old men cult. Get a bunch of old men. Yeah. Get, get together, and jerk each other off. Um, yeah, we like, know that most old guys don't have friends. You know, they lose those social connections, so they could actually use a cult. Yeah, young girls, they've got enough friends. If you get a bunch of older guys in there, just. <laughs> jerking each other off i think we'll be fine i think we'll be no one will get hurt so that's our recommendation to jared leto if you're listening move your move your age range in your cult do old dudes (laughs) um and one other little bonus one before we get to the the number one that we we both ended up picking and, and realized as we made our list that we both had to include it um before we get to that yep um Bo Travai is another um Claire Denis movie. We talked in our last episode about Claire Denis and the movie U.S. Go Home is one of uh, my favorite soundtracks. Uh, Botrify also has a great soundtrack because it's all stuff from Benjamin Britten's opera of Billy Budd. Um, but for anyone who's not familiar with it, it's um, a 1999 movie about the French Foreign Legion in Djibouti uh, that is like loosely based on Melville's Billy Budd. And it's got these amazing long sequences of the men in this unit going through like exercises and training that is it's dance, like ultimately, like it's not they're not, uh, you know, consciously doing dance, but it's like beautiful and balletic and like watching these like (laughs) fit young male bodies move through space in this like beautiful balletic graceful way is very interesting and you know I talked in my earlier choice of lovers on the bridge about the actor Denis Levant who is amazing and he uh plays the sort of like main character that we're seeing a lot of the movie through his eyes um and he's clearly in love with this Billy Budd character um yeah so seeing him as he we watch him eyeing these these young men as they go through these exercises. And it's a very powerful, erotic uh, set of scenes. Ooh, okay. 
Yeah, it's hot. <laughs> I gotta check that one out. Um, shit. Okay. I'm. I. All right. I don't. Oh, so many. So many <laughs> movies, and I hope we get to come back to them in the future. But I'll knock a couple out. I won't talk about them too long. Mm-hmm. But um, earlier when you were talking about Lovers on the Bridge and that dancing, it made me think about another movie called uh, Victoria that begins in a club mm. and has a dance scene, um, mm. I guess. It's, it's okay, so Victoria, uh, 2015, Sebastian Schipper, um, takes place in uh, Berlin, so it's a Berlin Ooh. dance club, uh, and it's focused on the, the titular character, Victoria, uh, she's a Spanish woman, and she is in Berlin. She doesn't speak German. The only uh, she knows English, and so there are parts of the movie where she's able to connect with people mm. if they know English. But the whole movie is one continuous take, Ooh. and it t- came out around. You know, this isn't like a, some movies have done this, mm. um, but this movie was coming out around the same time as uh birdman Mm. and birdman was edited together to look like one right this it's edited to look like a continuous take but this one actually is a single continuous take and so it starts in a dance club and the camera kind of moves through the club and through the chaos of berlin at 4 30 a.m the movie is three hours long and (laughs) it's a heist it's like a failed heist movie because she starts and it starts like in the middle of that chaos we're having fun she's young she doesn't know what anyone's saying but who gives a shit yeah (laughs) uh she meets some guys they're cute they're fun she didn't she can't really understand what they're saying but you know they're cute and fun (laughs) um she strikes up a fancy for one of them and Mm -hmm. uh from how we were introduced to the movie in this dance scene, it's like, oh yeah, we're just having fun in Berlin. Like, <laughs> and then she gets involved in a heist. It goes sour. People mm. die. She's got to get back to work the next day. Yeah. Um, it kind of feels like um, what was the one that we watched? Um, it's one bad night, and it's a guy, and he's chasing a girl. What's that one that we watched? After hours. Oh, yes, <sighs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> thank God. We figured it out. Let's yeah, leave that in it. there. We we figured yeah, it out. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like a- after hours, but in real time because we're oh, focused cool. on her the whole time. But yeah. it's a very effective dance scene because the dancing, really? the dance introduction of just being in this club mm. kind of sets the tone. And then uh, yeah. that tone is just destroyed. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then um, the last thing I'll mention is uh, a goofy movie, the Powerline dance scenes. I'm Love not going to expand on those. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> yeah. Now, as we were putting together our main lists of our top three, uh, we did find putting the script together that we both had one that we could not bear to leave off our lists. Um, but we figured 
since we both had it, instead of making one of us, you know, choose, we just both talk about it. Oh. And that, friends, is, of course, the iconic opening of Spike Lee's 1989 film, Do the Right Thing, with Rosie Perez dancing to fight the power. She's a goddamn athlete. Um... Truly. Oh, my God. <laughs> God, and it's such I... an interesting way of establishing the tone so quickly because it's like it opens with that sort of jazzy instrumental version of Lift Every Voice and then it like cuts straight to fight the power and her dancing in that very sort of like aggressive imagery where, you know, she's on like, a, I guess it's a set, like in, you know, it's got yeah. that like red lighting and she is like often looking like straight into the camera. Oh, it's such a great yeah. way of like it's... hitting at the multiple tones that you're going to have in this movie, just like hitting the ground running with them. Yeah, uh, kind of like a like a nice overture to mm. a show. Yeah. The theatrical yeah. experience. Um, yeah, I mean, I love that scene. We could talk about it for ever probably and <laughs> we should do uh do the right thing yeah episode. we do our rosie uh, perez episode we, a rosie perez episode let's talk about do the right thing we do an ensemble movie uh episode let's talk about do the right thing we do a Spike Lee <laughs> episode let's talk about do the right thing we're just gonna um, do the right thing podcast now <laughs> yeah let's just be a yeah i i agree let's do the right thing and talk about do the right thing um <laughs> Shelly and Michael do the right thing. Um, <laughs> I like this, podcast. actually. Let's do yeah. it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that is great. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, how much is there really to say about it that has not already been said a million times by smarter people than us? But yeah, just a an incredibly, as a self-contained scene, super, super effective and exciting and builds the tension so quickly. And also, yeah, just that, especially that musical cut in the very beginning feels like it It just so encompasses, you know, what, what the movie is in such an effective way and in such an efficient way. Uh, I wish I could watch all of these movies in full over this weekend, but I can't because there's not enough time. <laughs> if isn't. only there was a way to consolidate all of these parts of the movie mm. into some kind of like visual playlist where we'd be able to watch them all in one place. If only we had the technology. Michael, it is so funny that you mentioned that. Because really? we're actually going to do that. Holy we crap. We'll be making a YouTube playlist that people can get in the bio for the show and on our social media. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. And if you're not following us on social media, you absolutely should. Mm -hmm. Our handle is everyone is hot pod. That's every number one is hot pod on all of the platforms. Mm -hmm. And please remember to rate us five stars if you're listening to us in Apple Podcasts. And what are we gonna do, Shelley? Um, I think both what we should do. And what I think the audience should also do is stay horny. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.